Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracemc.org. We're going to talk about the Beatitudes today. Matthew chapter 5, it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and uh, Jesus' most famous sermon. And this is just the, the beginning part of it. Um, <clears throat> as this whole sermon and this part we're going to look at uh, this morning in particular is just completely countercultural um, for, for the religious leaders in Jesus' day. He butted heads with them over and over and over again. And uh, this sermon um, yeah, is just another example of how what Jesus is promoting is uh, showing that who they are isn't, uh, isn't what God values. And so uh, uh, there's this tension that goes through the whole thing. And I was thinking about uh, uh, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, and, and I got thinking, what does our culture value in a leader? Okay, and I'm not talking about what qualities do we want in somebody who's a friend or that kind of thing, like relational qualities exactly. I'm like, you know, someone that uh, you would elect or vote for. Or if you think about what are the values of uh, Washington, D.C. and all our electorate out there. And I came up with this list, and frankly, it's, it's, uh, um, it's probably off the mark uh, in a lot of ways. But um, we value confidence, um, intelligence, education experience, insight, charisma, uh, we value people who are really self-assured, um, together, whatever that means. Or maybe I should say people who are good at hiding their faults. I mean, that's kind of the same as being having it together. Um, influential, um, self-made, successful, creative, and well-spoken. Okay, so the religious leaders in Jesus' day they probably had more similarities to that list and how we might think of uh, um, a cultural values about leadership than they have to uh, uh, what you might think of as what the qualities we look for in a pastor. Um, I would say those are two real different lists. And uh, Jesus puts forward these beatitudes as a way of showing what God values. Okay, um, <clears throat> just a little bit of context here before we, before we read it. By this time, when we get to Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus, as well as John the Baptist, have been throwing out this phrase all over the place, the kingdom of God. Okay, right at the end of the previous chapter, it says, Jesus traveled through the region announcing the good news about the kingdom. Uh, so as we read and we process the kind of character that God blesses, and we think about the promises that God gives, we need to understand Jesus is describing kingdom people, okay? Describing kingdom people, promises that are connected to being part of his kingdom, all right? Um, I think it's important that we don't think of this just as a, a new list, all right, so uh, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day were experts in the Old Testament law. And to, to 
Yeah, uh, to summarize that, it'd be to say, in, in all these rules and laws, experts in that, and in all the corollaries they had accumulated through many generations that go along with the law, experts in rules and rules connected to rules and so on and so on. And that was their idea about how a person is made right with God. And uh, uh, that was the example that people had. And Jesus puts forward something that's really, really different from that. Instead of obey all these things and do everything right, and then God will be happy with you, um, Jesus puts forward things that are, that are more inward qualities. And certainly these qualities are things we should try to have, right? Uh, mercy, humility, etc. Excellent. Try to have those. But let's make sure we realize Jesus isn't just substituting a new list for an old one. Okay, it used to be you behave in this way, and now I'm saying it's not like that. You just have to have these qualities. And if you achieve enough of them, then God will be really happy with you and you'll be all good. That's not what Jesus is saying about entrance into his kingdom. Okay, we'll come back to that uh, in a little bit. But uh, I want to start by reading um, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they'll inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they'll be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they'll be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. God blesses those. Let's uh, start with what in the world does that mean? Blessed. Uh, Some of you might have Bibles that use the word happy right there. And the reason that uh, our different translations have different words there is because there's not one word that's really perfect in English for for what that's describing. Um, I, I... did the homework, uh, and in reading about Matthew, this is what I found, okay? This is from, um, what's his name? Michael, I got it here, just a second. Michael Wilkins, sorry. This is from Michael Wilkins' commentary on Matthew. Uh, This is what he says, blessed means being in a relationship with God and receiving something from God that can be experienced even when one doesn't feel happy or experience good fortune. Okay, so in, in my own words, 
what he's saying is that being blessed has to do with our relationship with God and that this blessing is uh, more significant than feeling happy. This blessing is more significant than having things go well for you. Being blessed means that on a bad day, it's still true. I can still acknowledge that uh, I'm blessed by God and be thankful for those blessings, even uh, uh, when things go wrong and I don't feel all, all warm and fuzzy. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I want to go back again and reread these kingdom qualities. Um, these are things that God values, but I'm just going to read the first half of the phrase, and then later we'll read the second part, the promise part. So these are the things that God values, the things that God blesses. He blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Uh, A lot of translations say poor in spirit, blesses those who are poor in spirit. He blesses those who are mourn, those who are humble, those who hunger and thirst for justice, those who are merciful, those whose hearts are pure, those who work for peace. It says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. He blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil against you because you're my followers. So he blesses those who are persecuted or opposed. Okay? I just want to say, I already pointed out how countercultural that is, you know? Uh, when we think about who would we want to elect? Yeah, those who mourn, you know? Um, we might say humble, yeah, we might, we might go for that. Uh, we might go for hungry and thirsty for justice, pure-hearted, um, persecuted, maybe not so much, maybe not so much. But uh, I also want to illustrate for you how incredibly relevant, practical these things are for us, Okay. Uh, for us, all these years after Jesus spoke it, um, these come right home. Okay. Have you ever been in a situation where you're the expert in the room? It happens to me all the time. Every time, yeah, every time I'm with a group of four-year-olds, uh, uh, it's like I'm the expert in the room. Okay. Um, Actually, I had this situation, you know, so I'm a, a leader of a missions organization, so I know a little bit about geography because we've got people in all these different countries, right? And um, I feel like I'm supposed to know that, and so sometimes I kind of fake it. Like, I really know all stuff. So I was talking to this other mission leader, and we were talking about Sierra Leone, and I, I did know, oh, that's in Africa. Um, but uh, uh, earlier in the day... I had been with somebody uh, looking at this map of Africa, and um, I, I can't remember why we were having that discussion, but we were looking at these countries, Liberia, Ghana, Sierra Leone, right on the African map. And so then later, I'm having this conversation, and this guy says, uh, oh, yeah, we've got a bunch of uh, missionary staff in Sierra Leone. You know where, where that is in, in West Africa? Oh, yeah. I said, oh, yeah, right by Liberia. You know, like, you know, I'm trying to present, uh, uh, look how much I know, you know, um, when really I'm pretty clueless, except for the, you know, the rivers, the, the Nile is in Egypt, you know, the Mount Everest is in Nepal, and after that, it's fuzzy, OK? 
Okay? Um, he blesses those who realize their need for him. Um, they don't rely on their own self-knowledge. They're not uh, um, looking to self-promote those who are dependent. Okay? Um, some of you, I know, uh, have experienced this in, in various ways. Some of you have, have been through a life situation that's just really kind of crushing. And, um, you know, you've been through some sort of bad, bad abuse, um, the loss of a, of a spouse or the death of a, a loved one, cancer. Um, yeah, I could keep going. You get the idea. Some of you have had dreams for what your life would be like, and that just seems like a distant memory. Uh, you've felt trapped. You've felt without hope. And uh, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. What could be more relevant than that, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Have you been dismissed? Have you been judged wrongly or looked down on somehow? Um, Here's a good response. God blesses those who are humble. Say the humble don't need to defend and self-promote. It just... I got to tell you this. So I was a high school basketball coach for 12 years, and some of those years were not good. And I mean, the team wasn't good. We, we, we lost a lot of games. And let me tell you, after you've, walked, after you've lost 9, 10, 11 games in a row, uh, you're wondering if you're ever going to win again. And uh, uh, you start to think, huh, maybe we should change something. Right? And, uh, or the good coaches at least think that. And, uh, um, we had lost uh, a game. I can't remember where it was, but it, we'd lost a lot of games. And we had one that was close. A lot of them weren't close. This one was close. And we missed four free throws in the last minute and a half or something like that. And we would have won if we made those free throws. Okay? So after the game, it's like, oh. Again, we could have, you know, oh, so, and, you know, you, your heart's all the way in it when you're, you know, going through it with a group of kids and, and uh, just aches. And I had a dad come up to me after the game, and uh, a good guy, uh, uh, yeah, good guy, no ill intention, but he just says, oh, that was a tough one. Puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, um, you know, in practice, do you guys practice free throws? I'm telling you, I about jumped out of my body, out of my skin. I I mean, I wanted to bring the full force of my righteous sarcasm down on him, you know? Like, well, I never thought of that. You think we should practice those? Whoa, where were you at the beginning of the season, you know? We could have won all those games if I, ah, free throws, you know? Um... God blesses those who are humble. Um, it doesn't use this phrase, but, but I think a lot of times God blesses those who are humble enough to keep their mouth shut. You know? Uh, we all know that, right? There's times when you'd rather not, and you know you should, 
there's humility that's part of that picture. Have you ever had an opportunity to get ahead in your career or to gain some sort of advance by painting yourself as a little better than somebody else or by, by having a conversation that makes somebody else look just not quite as good as you? It says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Okay, if you're between 12 and 22, this next one is, is for you. I speak as a father, and this next one is for you. Um, do you ever feel irritated by people, maybe parents, uh, who, people who are close to you and they do stupid things? Uh, people who don't do things in the obviously right way like you do? You ever feel irritated by that, by mom and dad? Um, God blesses those who are merciful. God blesses those who are merciful. And I, I'm just throwing that out there for, for uh, not, yeah. Well, mostly it's for my own kids. But, but for any of the rest of you, maybe that's for you too. Uh, have you celebrated somebody's failures because their failures somehow helped you? You know, another kid on the team got injured and it made you get all the playing time. You have this inner celebration about that. It says that uh, God blesses those with pure hearts. Does someone hate you? Does someone hate you? Do you have a hatred, whether verbalized or hidden, do you have a hatred for a person or for a group of people? Usually it's somebody who's wounded you real deeply God blesses those who work for peace. Have you identified yourself at school as someone who belongs to Jesus? That's hard. That's hard in school where you're not supposed to talk about that stuff and it automatically marks you as kind of one of those. Um, it's not very socially acceptable. God blesses you. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. Just doesn't seem like Jesus could put forward a list that would be more applicable in our days than this. Uh, So I thought it would be really great. There's eight of these Beatitudes. If for each one I would share a long rambling story. Um, But I was, yeah, talking with my wife and she said that wouldn't be the best idea. And so I just want to take poor in spirit. Um, uh, those who recognize their need for God. And I would like to explain what that means, but I, I think what I have to do is uh, uh, illustrate what it means. I'm not sure there's a definition that's enough. I think you have to understand it by, by seeing it. And maybe as I talk, you can think of someone you know who exhibits this, and that'll kind of help help you think it through. Um, I get two examples of being poor in spirit. Um, The first one is a guy who's who's a Ukrainian. Um, He spent a lot of time in prison and and trusted Christ while he was in prison. And now he, uh, well, now he's limited within the borders of Ukraine, but he used to travel to Siberia and and other places uh, doing missions work. You know, telling people about Jesus and uh, encouraging local churches. Um, 
I wrote to Sergei, Sergei Babenkov, I wrote to him uh, a couple of months ago, along with all the, the Ukrainians and others we have who, who are still in Ukraine. And I, I know it's hard. And so I just want to know, um, how are you? You know, like, what is it like where you are? They're in different parts of the country, and it's not all the same. Uh, we got some people who every day, the bombs, they hear the bombs. Uh, yeah, one, one young guy told me last week they were doing a, a youth event, and they had to change locations because uh, uh, there were bombs that fell within a couple hundred meters of where they were. Um, so some of them are in that kind of situation. Others are, are more in the West, and it's not like uh, uh, war is falling on them, you know, every hour. It's, uh, uh, but it's still scary, and it's still hard. Um, the Ukrainian military police, if they see a, uh, a civilian male between a certain age range, I can't remember what it is. Uh, I think it's up to 50, or is it 60? Anyway, uh, they see a Ukrainian male on public transportation. Um, they'll conscript you into the army right then. You, you won't, you won't have, you know, like a week at home or three months of training. Uh, they'll take you off the train, uh, and to a military base and give you a gun. And by the end of the week, you'll be on the front line. And so it's tense, really, really tense. And, uh, just trying to get a sense of how, how it is. And Sergey said, well, our city's had a lot of windows knocked out and there's been some bombs, but not near as bad as other places. And, uh, you know, elaborates on that. And then he says, um, I'm really not in need of anything. I'm really not in need of anything. So, my reaction as someone who's never been in a war is, how can that be? That seems like that's got to be somehow false. I mean, I know there's massive needs, and, and, I, and I just feel helpless because I can't do much about it. But at least, what can we pray for you about? You know, tell us, help us understand. And he says, you know, really God has provided everything we need just day by day. And we've never been in want. And I just thought, that's poor in spirit. That's, I'm dependent on God, not on my situation, not on my, my wealth or, or financial means to fix things. Poor in spirit. Um, second example might help you see this. Uh, about a year ago, we made a major transition at IM. A lot of you know Darwin Anderson. He was the president of IM for many years, and, and he stepped out of that role, and I became the president. And like any transition, um, it required more communication than we did. Okay? Uh, yeah, there was just always things that we would would have been better off to have talked about more. And I respect and love him, and he's mentored me. Uh, and so I don't say this with, with any criticism toward him, but there was, there was a day when we sat together, and, um, and I was frustrated. And I was frustrated. Like I said, respectful. But, but I just I said, what is it that you want in this transition? And, and I did. I had a little bit of a tone I don't know how to make this go well. And, and uh, a little bit exasperated because I, I felt like it should be better. And uh, 
his answer, you know, with a little bit of this, you know, a little bit of thoughtful, quiet, he said, you know, um, Brent, I just think those are the wrong questions. He said, um, I don't think you need to do something to make this transition go well. He said, really, it's not about you. He said, for this to go well, he said, I need to just kind of get over myself. And if I can get over my pride and my uh, uh, sense of needing to lead and, and that kind of stuff, uh, you know, any of this tension or, or, you know, communication struggle and that kind of stuff, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And, and you know, we affirmed to each other that we love each other too much to have it not go well, you know, and to not work on our communication and all that stuff. But that statement... Um, that wasn't what I meant when I asked those questions. And so I was surprised when he came back with, no, no, I just, I got to get over myself here. And that'll make it better for you, not just for me. Um, to me, that's poor in spirit. It means depending on God and others and letting go of your self-sufficiency. So uh, let me give you a, a little homework assignment, okay? Um, you can put it up there, Kayla. How does my pride keep me from enjoying God's kingdom promises? I think that would be, uh, you know, just one or two things, okay? If you get into the hundreds, you know, you're making a list like that, then it's probably not helpful anymore. Just, just one or two things. Are there ways that my own pride or self-sufficiency keep me from enjoying all the promises that God has for me? Okay, speaking of promises, let's get to that part, uh, the, the second half of all those statements. Um, here's what God promises to his kingdom people. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. They will be comforted. They will inherit the whole earth. They'll be satisfied. They'll be shown mercy. They will see God. They'll be called the children of God. And again, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. A great reward awaits them in heaven. So a couple things about these promises. Um, the first and the last one, uh, it says is. It's present tense. That means uh, the kingdom of heaven is ours. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, that's true today. Um, the other ones say will be. So you might say, wait a second. Where is my comforter? I'm waiting. And, and where is the justice? I've been treated wrongly. Where is my justice? And the Lord is saying, you are a member of my kingdom, a citizen of my kingdom. You are part of my family, and that justice is coming. That comfort, you're going to know it all the way. Now, of course, we can experience some of it, but there's coming a day when that's going to be complete. Um, So there's a right now and a not all the way yet thing going on here. Uh, The second thing I want to say is, is, uh, you notice the kingdom of heaven is theirs is repeated. And just so that you know, I did homework to prepare for this. I want to tell you that's called an inclusio. I learned that. It's called an inclusio, okay? Um, 
Yeah, in order to comprehend that, uh, I had to come up with an analogy. It's like a sandwich. And the first uh, kingdom of heaven is theirs is the top piece of bread. And the second kingdom of heaven is theirs is the bottom piece of bread. And all the stuff in the middle is the bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Okay? And so if you take away the kingdom of heaven is theirs, you don't even have a sandwich. You just have ingredients. Um, so in, in other words... Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to us, um, we can count on all those things in the middle, too. If, if there's no bread, there's no sandwich. And that, I know, that's not a perfect analogy, but you guys just work with me. Um, <clears throat> kingdom of heaven is a phrase with lots of meaning, but I want to simplify to say that being a member of the kingdom of heaven means that ha- having a relationship with God, being a a member of his current kingdom, and having all the promises that go with it for later. That's that's what it means to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And you might be asking a question, like the people in Jesus' day surely asked. Jesus said at one point, unless your righteousness is greater than the scribes or Pharisees, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. To which I'm sure a lot of them thought, Well, then what am I supposed to do? I can't be more righteous than them. Um, Let me just say as simply as I can, uh, concisely, admit that you need Jesus. You don't have some some self-effort, whether it's about character or deeds. You don't have enough of that, whatever it is, to earn your way into God's family. You'll never be good enough to make that thing with the scales. You know, my good deeds are more than my bad deeds, so God will probably be happy. That's garbage. Okay? Admit, I need Jesus. Second, um, what Jesus did for the cro- on the cross is the ultimate expression of how much he loves you. Okay? So you can't get into God's kingdom, and, and he says, I'll make a way. And Jesus on the cross is that way. He loved you that much. Like it says in Romans, he demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, while we were still going the wrong way, he showed his love for us. Okay? So what does God want from me then? If it's not earn up all these qualities and stuff, um, and the answer is short. It's, it's trust him. We talk about having faith in him, trust him um, all the way. I think you could start that today by saying, Jesus, I, I surrender. I surrender. I, I know I don't have, I, I can't do it. I, I need you. I need you. Would you please, would you please take charge? I trust you to do that. Um, So what? Uh, last week, Ryan, in his sermon, finished with, so what? And I love that. It's, it's a perfect way uh, to finish the message. And in our text today, I, I think the verses answer that for themselves. Um, so, so what about all these Beatitudes? I want to read the, the last set of verses here. You are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? 
It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Um, Salt and light. Okay, salt is a preservative, and I think that's a good, uh, that's how we should understand this. You're to be salt. Okay, we are the preservative that the rest of this world needs. God has made us that because we know him. His spirit lives in us. Heaven and hell is at stake for millions of people in our world, for thousands of people in our city. And yeah, um, yeah, let's have a preserving effect by how we behave with them and what we say to them, how we represent Jesus. Light, okay, <clears throat> I got to tell you, I feel really clever about this. Light, let me, let me give you this analogy, all right? Um, we are, uh, wait a second, let me make sure I don't mess it up. Okay, you and I are to the kingdom of God as Bushel Boy Farms Tomato uh, Greenhouse is to Mason City, Iowa. Okay, I'm not sure if that makes any sense to you at all, but if you've been on the south side of Mason City. Uh, on a night when uh, there's lots of cloud covers, you know, like it's real dark and the clouds are low, those greenhouses shine up into the sky and create this big circular thing on the bottom side of the clouds. And it's like, you know, if you're not from here and you don't know what that is, it's like, this is it. The aliens are coming. You know, um, it's a... Here's the portal to the other dimension. You know, it's right here in Mason City. Who knew? You know, um, but it's you can see it from ten miles away. It, it is uh, uh, stark on a dark night like that. And okay, so it does connect. I wasn't just going off on that. It does connect. That's a little image of us in God's kingdom. Um, shining in a way that, that uh, he can be seen for miles. And frankly, that, that phenomenon with the greenhouse, it's weird looking. And we might have to look that way sometimes too in the darkness of our culture, right? We can't just slide in and fit just perfectly. We need to stand out like a bright light on a dark night. The so what, to finish with this, um, embrace those promises. Which one do you really need to embrace and savor or pursue? And then the second thing, what's a practical way I can pass God's blessing to someone else? Okay, you might look through that list of Beatitudes and, and pick something out. Uh, comfort. I could be that for someone. Mercy. Mercy. Um, you know, a practical way that I can pass God's blessing. See, when God gave me grace, he didn't do that just so I would have it. 
I know I've said this before, but I'm not the end point in God's grace. He sent it to me for someone else as well. And so what's a practical way? Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we, we thank you for this time together in your word and just ask that you'd help us to be doers, not just hearers of it. I pray that uh, uh, the, the little part that needs to sink in really would and... Um, Yeah, that you'd lead us and we'd be uh, faithful to follow you. We thank you, Lord, for your promises, for your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.